Welcome. This is the Modern Industrials Podcast, the show where we talk about accelerating transformation in the Industry 4.0 era. Our goal with this series is to help spur adoption of technologies that are critical to industrial innovation by talking about the current trends and challenges that we're seeing in the space. My name is Jason Heeman. I'm the vertical lead for Industry 4.0 and IoT at TXI. I'm joined this episode by my regular co-host, our head of engineering at TXI, Patrick Charlie. Hello, Charlie. How are you, man? Hey, hey there. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. I'm good. I'm good. It's nice to be back chatting with you again. I love when we get to do these, just the two of us. Um, I think uh, this episode, uh, we're going to go down a couple different paths, uh, talking about an experience that I had uh, getting hands-on with some some innovation. Um, but it sounds like you've been getting hands-on with some new innovation of your own there at Casa Turley. Yeah, I mean, I was going to tell you all about it. I um... I finally pulled the the ripcord and bought a new 3D printer. Uh, we've talked about it a number of times on the podcast, but I've been a I've been a pretty loyal uh, Prusa printer person, uh, and uh, I have a Prusa Mark III. Um, mm-hmm. It it works like it's just a workhorse in my house. It makes all sorts of stuff. But I finally um, pulled the ripcord and I got one of the Bamboo Labs uh, X1 carbons and. Uh, this is kind of a, it's, it's kind of a, I don't know how much you know about these, but it's, it's, it's got a little bit of controversy uh, associated with it because um, the, the bamboo labs uh, printers are, they're, they're amazing, right? They're, they're, they're wildly faster than all the other things uh, on the market compared uh, in the same price range. And a lot of bells and whistles, like for example, uh, you get a camera uh, that you can monitor the thing remotely, uh, which doesn't come on on very many other 3D printers at that price point. Um, you get uh, a whole bunch of new new tech uh, things like input shaping, and uh, it's got a lidar camera to like make sure bed leveling is uh, is is super easy. All these real big nice bells and whistles. Um, and matter of fact, they came out with a a, a newer uh, version that's kind of a bit more bare bones, the P1P. That's a it's at it's at like a six hundred dollar price range, right? Like they're not. Uh, they're not out of the range for, for most people. Um, but it's, it's got two kind of controversial things. One is it's closed source. Um, uh, it's, a, it's owned by a Chinese company too. I think that's a little bit scary for some people. And two, um, yeah, it's all, it's, it's kind of like always connected. It's very cloud integrated. Uh, I can, you know, be out and about and be on my phone and interact with my 3d printer. Um, normally that's not the case with these things. It's very like, my Prusa up there, I, 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 I take an SD card and I move things from my computer over there and it has, it is not connected to the internet whatsoever. Interesting. So, what's bunch spurred, of big shifts. Yeah. yeah. What spurred this decision to uh, pull the trigger and go bigger? Uh, the honest truth is um, I'm a part of a bunch of things in, uh, in the community that people are going after bigger and bigger, um, like usually Kickstarters or things like that to make, uh, put out models that you might want to use at home. For example, I have this uh, one. I kickstarted this thing called the Game Frame, and basically what it is is a uh, a modular rail that you can add to any table to sort of add things like uh, little bits and bobs that you might want, like a a, a holder for your phone, or a mug hold, uh, you know, a mug holder, or a place to put tokens for for board games, or whatever. It um, always back to board games with you. Wait, wait it always does. It comes back to board games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't uh, never fear. But uh, it's uh, these these uh, projects that 
you know, people are kickstarting like me, um, they're getting to be a little bit more ambitious. And the, one of the core pieces took something like 18 hours on my, uh, my old Prusa one. And it takes like six on the new, on my new printer. Wow. Um, so it's tough to deny the, some of the like raw spec improvements that are coming, uh, with these new things. Um, and so I, so I, I, I went for it cause it's, it's not an unreasonable amount of money. I mean, it's a lot of money, I suppose. Uh, but, um, and I, I do love it. I gotta tell you, I, I love it a lot. There's a lot of cool, uh, cool plastic coming out of my house. Um, at that, uh, at that higher rate, the higher speed, are you getting the same, um, quality of output, the same fidelity? Yeah. I mean, I know this is a podcast, so I, I, I can, I can show you a thing, but like the, I made this, uh, this little, um, it's a, uh, figurine, I suppose. Yeah. And the, le- the level of quality on this thing is insane. It's so good. Uh, it's not something that you would expect from most of the previous generation and it did it in, in lightning speed. So, so the answer to your, your question is simply, yeah. And it's way more turnkey, way less needing to have like a PhD in 3d printing, which is pretty, pretty much how it used to work is you, you needed to certainly watch every YouTube video that exists uh, to be, to be savvy with these things. And it's just way, way more accessible. Um, this, this jumping into the consumer market is it's happening. It's happening right now. Do you think that a model like this uh, is, it, is it almost quasi like prosumer, right? As I think about, this is going to be a topic we're going to talk about today. It's actually a good segue. Um, there are a lot more small manufacturers in the U.S. than I ever realized. Um, this was news was brought to me recently. Do you think a 3D printer additive manufacturing piece like you're talking about would be almost good enough to sit as an entry point for one of those small manufacturers who kind of want to start exploring with um, that kind of rapid prototyping before getting to true like industrial level type of scale? Absolutely. I mean, I'll tell you this, like I have a bunch of, an, you know, uh, personal stories where uh, friends of mine have bought 3D printers like this uh, just to kind of geek out, but then they they realized like they could subsidize the cost of these 3D printers by 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 you know putting out something on Etsy or something like that and just printing you know a, a small scale amount of things and they uh, they use that income to subsidize the cost of these things. If that can happen on the individual level. I think it it obviously can happen in, in a small scale manufacturing uh, space. Um, so absolutely, this would this would be a type of thing I would, um, if anybody is dealing with anything three uh, D in there that that could be made out of plastic, and that's that's a big kicker right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it can be done in plastic? I would expect them to have something like this on the manufacturing floor, almost as insurance, just for the speed of turnaround of fixing something. Awesome. Love that. Um, I'm going to take that as my opportunity to transition us into our main topic for today, um, which is where I want to talk a little about an organization that we at TXI have started getting more involved in. Um, and I want to give a little background to kind of tee that up, right? So I think you're aware of this, Charlie, but this might be news to you. I'm hoping it's going to be enlightening to some of our audience. Um, in 2014, there was federal legislation passed known as the Revitalize American Manufacturing and Innovation Act, right? And the idea was that it would create a framework for what became known as the National Network for Manufacturing Innovation, which then subsequently became 
Manufacturing USA, right? So Manufacturing USA is this network of public and private partnerships, and they each have their own unique focus. And the idea is through these public-private partnerships to expand uh, the utilization, the awareness of advanced um, techniques and innovation in manufacturing, right? So uh, there are currently 17 of these partnership organizations around the country. Um, and the one that we at TXI have just gotten involved with is MXD. Um, MXD is basically an acronym for Manufacturing Times Digital. Um, they're based in Chicago, and they have two areas of focus. Uh, one is acting as a testbed for new digital manufacturing technology, um, and the other is specifically uh, cybersecurity. So basically, specifically protecting organizations as they embrace these uh, technologies that create a greater connectivity between their, their assets, right? So we have attended uh, their recent membership meeting, uh, and they had another event recently. It's a fantastic facility uh, in the Goose Island area of Chicago. Uh, and here's where I'm gonna make you jealous. One of the coolest things about MXD is uh, basically their future factory. So they have an expansive part of the facility that is specifically a test bed and a place to actually see and interact uh, with some of the new technologies, the new devices, the new techniques um, that manufacturers can test themselves and start to get their arms around. I'm, I mean, I'm absolutely drooling. I, 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 I've got the pictures up right now uh, online and I'm just like, this would be, it'd be so, so much fun to, to hang out at. I, and I think that's, that's true. They're, they're, they're pretty open. Uh, they're, they want folks to come in and see this kind of stuff. So I think um, if any of our listeners are out there and they're interested in, in seeing something like this, um, reach out and we'll, we or they can, can hook you up with the tour. It's, it's pretty, pretty easy to come by, but um, super inspiring. If nothing else, just to, just to go in there and just be amongst this kind of thing would be great. So, What's amazing also is that they really have a wide array of different approaches and techniques. And I think what's really valuable is they demonstrate um, at a very simple level the advancements that can be made all the way up to some very advanced kind of technolo technological applications. So one of the demos that I saw last week, which I thought was really neat, was an execution of how spatial... Um, spatial um, awareness technology. So basically think of the thing you would interact with on your Xbox that allows you to kind of, allows you to kind of track your motions. You can set up those types of devices around a mm, workbench, right? And have signals and cues that help workers who are getting trained um, understand the process that they need to go through, right? So it's kind of observing and reacting to how they're picking up a gasket, how they're interacting with the machine, um, displaying light information on the workbench to help them guide through, through the process. Um, it's really just like a fantastic way of like understanding uh, how technology can be made very accessible in a very human-centered way, right? In terms of really improving the overall experience um, of that person in the manufacturing environment. That's one thing that I was really, really impressed by. I mean, I think the big... Uh... The big reason this is happening is it's it's within reach right now is uh, those are all consumer technologies, right? Like the Xbox Connect, uh, or uh, it's been out for like a decade now, um, and 
so they're they're easily available. Um, the the costs are nice and low. Uh, things like screens, even just like just the cost of a TV. Some buddy of mine was saying they they went to Walmart and who's already started their you know Black Friday things that starts you know six months in advance. But um, they've already, they they went out and got a a sixty five inch TV for two hundred dollars. Uh, I mean it's uh, this stuff is, uh, is dirt cheap. Um, and you don't have to go to some like, you know, custom, uh, you know, wildly proprietary complex solution, um, putting together general consumer products can really help help things out. Yep. Yep. So ever since you and I went to, uh, the implied intelligence conference in Austin, we've been talking about digital twins, um, on the floor at MXD, they have a digital twin that you can both see the, real thing and the digital representation of it. You can see how the two things interact. Um, that, you know, for something that even for me, as much time as we spend in the space, which had been kind of like um, not truly real to me, right? To actually see the digital twin and the experience that was replicating live together uh, kind of really brought home for me, like exactly all the nuances that we need to think about from a design and from a technology standpoint in terms of how those things come together. So that was another kind of real, uh, literally eye-opening experience I got to have um, in a very accessible way. Yeah, I think it's awesome. I, I think the other thing that MXD uh, makes me think about is this intersection of all of these manufacturing uh, components and cybersecurity. Like why, why did they hitch their wagon to that? And I think the uh, it's it's uncommon to be in the in this space, but it, it makes a lot of sense. I think it's it's you know cybersecurity is probably the number one concern you hear from people adopting technology, especially in in the manufacturing world. Um, I think it's it, it's it's risk that uh, these folks are un or they're just not used to, to thinking about, um, and and I think it's it's a perfect um, you know sidecar or, or piece component to the. Uh, their offering that makes them really, really quite strong. I'm glad you bring that up. Um, I think a really interesting aspect of MXD is the fact that they are partnered with the Department of Defense. Uh, so cybersecurity is a big part of what they're focused on. And I think the Department of Defense's interest is obviously just not just the defense against cyber attacks. But if you think about the importance of having a robust, reliable, domestic manufacturing operation here in the United States to do all the things to supply all of the um, what our Department of Defense needs, right, from a technology standpoint across all of their systems. There's, there's a real clear reason for why uh, the DOD would be uh, a partner of MXD and why they'd be invested in that. Um, so what was interesting to me was last week, um, there was this event at MXD, and it was presented by IMEC Illinois, which is basically another state public-private partnership focused on improving manufacturing, um, and SESMI, which is similar. That's C-E-S-M-I-I, if you want to look that up. It's another organization similar to MXD. And again, they're both focused on advancing these manufacturing capabilities. And the event was an opportunity for small and medium-sized manufacturers to get better introduced to those organizations, to understand what resources, what partners uh, like TXI are out there uh, to help them on their innovation journey. But what was really interesting is the CEO of MXD, uh, Berardino Barata, kicked the morning off with this great presentation, and he had some statistics that he shared with us. Uh, and I want to bring a couple of those forward to you just to talk about them. 
So from a scale perspective, there are 239,000 manufacturing firms in the U.S., 239,000. Of that, Charlie, how many do you think have over 500 employees? I'm just doing the math and there just can't be that many, right? Like, I mean, it kind of, it's on a percentage uh, basis, on a percentage basis of the 239 manufacturer, 239,000 manufacturing firms, how many have over 500 employees? I'll go with 40% so that I don't look as dumb. 2%. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, I, I knew it had to be small, but my goodness. 2%. Uh, of manufacturing firms have over 500 employees. And that just kind of blew my mind. So let's let's go yeah. a step further. Um, what percentage? Well, how can we do this? Okay. So we'll, we'll do the next we'll do the next grouping of 20 to 499 or less than 20. So which number do you think is bigger? Are there more firms with 20 to 499 employees? Or are there more firms with less than 20 employees? You're going to tell me it's less than 20. And I'm going to be like, I'm going to, my mind's going to be blown. But I, 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 I'm, I'm guessing that's right. 75% of the manufacturing firms in the U.S. have less than 20 employees. It's a staggering number. Because um, I think it really changes how we think about ways to apply technology and some of the challenges that some of these businesses are likely facing in terms of like their own scale and how they need to plan for um, investment. Um, well, I mean, we're, we spend all of our time talking about how technology is threatening jobs. And I'm sure that like it, it threatens some of these, uh, some of these smaller companies uh, that's for sure. But if you think about how to, how those, those smaller companies can, could have a bigger, revenue base or bigger impact on, on their world. I mean, technology is the obvious answer, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that, that, that helps that story quite a bit. Man. And I think what's, what's particularly interesting as we think about uh, the workforce, um, one of the other statistics that was shared was this idea that between now and 2030, um, there will likely be on an annual basis, something like a 2 million person shortfall in terms of a mismatch of manufacturing jobs relative to people available to fill those jobs. So between like the coming wave of uh, retirements um, as boomers start to reach, you know, that part of their uh, career life, um, thinking about ways to improve training. So there's knowledge transfer of those highly tenured, really skilled experts to like the next generation coming in uh, and also filling kind of like new opportunities on the factory floor to account for that shortfall and allow these small organizations not to be not to be crushed. Because if you're a 20 person firm, right, uh, being short two or three people for jobs that you need filled is a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean, it could reduce uh, productivity by half, right? Like that's the kind of thing that that is it's shocking. Um, so I think I'm 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 inspired and motivated in terms of thinking about how we've been approaching the sector in terms of who we can be talking to and you know who might really benefit uh, from the help that we can that we can provide. Um, so that was that was neat. Um, as part of the session, also, um, 
IMEC shared a report on automation and workforce productivity, um, kind of specifically focused on their learnings in the state of, of Illinois. Um, and what I thought was really interesting, um, that according to the folks that they had talked to, only two thirds of those manufacturers felt that they had made modest to minimal progress in adopting these advanced technologies. Um, and that for the most part, over 50% felt that insufficient talent was an obstacle uh, to the organization in terms of implementing those technologies. Um, and I think it's it's a question of like expertise and experience in terms of trying to think about how practically, even in small ways, um, you can make progress. And that's what I love about NXD and what they do with their floor in terms of like being able to show like that future factory and make what can feel very intimidating feel much more accessible. Yeah, I mean, I think as those as the workforce does turn over, right? Like you're, we're hoping that we get people who are a little more comfortable with uh, with technology uh, coming in the door more steadily. But I mean, without opening up the giant, uh, you know, discussions of our of our time in our country, it's uh, you know we've skewed uh, the landscape of, um, of education in a particular way, and like. Uh, and the question is, is, are we going to be able to handle the manufacturing needs in, in, the, in the country and what, what level of education do we need there? What, you know, what, what types of education do we need? And can we get a pipeline of people, of the workers that are necessary to, to do the work that's coming? Yeah. Yeah. I've been really excited to step into this space more and more over the last year or so in terms of like what it's shown us in terms of opportunities. As you and I have talked about this, there's been a theme that we've touched on that I think just connects to TXI's philosophy on how we solve problems, how we approach design, how we approach technology. And it was borne out further in this report from IMEC where uh, they talked about while um, making investments in the technology is critical, without process improvements, those investments are not going to realize their full potential, right? And I just felt like that just so crystallized what you have talked about before in terms of thinking about the user experience, in this case, like the worker experience on the floor, as you're thinking about what it is that you are going to change, how you're going to change it, um, and what the real meaningful impact is going to be as you go as you go through that process. Yeah, when I attended the um, the 2023 Go to Chicago event uh, mm -hmm. about six months ago, uh, one of the my big takeaways from that event was. Everybody was talking. They were using this buzzword that I was I was unfamiliar with at the time, but really clicked for me immediately. And uh, they were saying the 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 hardest and most important problems to solve these days are socio technical problems. And I'd never used that word before, but the the idea being that these are the problems that are neither pure people uh, and you know, like hu human problems, nor are they pure technical problems. But they're at that intersection. They're at the at the place where uh, you need to do some process improvement some some think some change in the way that things that people are thinking or are engaging uh, and you need new technology but both of those things those things need to be true just to like really move the next uh, thing forward and I, I I certainly it's the work that we do for sure but I certainly think that that's that's right that's the those are the hard problems uh, that that most of these um, these manufacturing companies are solving there were a number of uh, folks that I talked to last week who were sharing their experiences of attempting to do uh, 
new and innovative things um, uh, add automation to the process and one thing that was a common theme was talking about the barrier that happens when as part of the gathering information about the process um, you're asking workers to in the context of what they're doing also enter information live right so like i've completed this process i am typing in some information digitally as opposed to just moving a ticket like I used to do, like in the old analog way. Um, and the barrier that that typing of something in actually creates for the user and for the process. And so while you think you're getting data, a lot of times you're getting bad data because the user can figure out the quickest way to get through it <laughs> and allow them get the green light to move forward. Um, and uh, I think what's interesting is the there's advancements being made in terms of video image capture technology, right? That alleviates some of that pressure from the person on the line, right? So they don't have to um, enter as much data themselves through like observational technology that can be kind of captured. And there's ways, there's still challenges to that in terms of keeping the data clean. Uh, but that's a, an interesting way from, in my mind of how um, going a step further to remove friction for the worker for the user uh, to make the process more um, accept, uh, uh, accessible, I suppose, and more successful. Yeah, I mean, it, the first step is everybody, every company is just like, I, I want more data. I want more information about what's going on. And that's logical, right? Like the in, insight into uh, the activities on, on, for example, a factory floor is something that any manager or executive would, would want. Um, but at, at the cost of slowing, the, it can it can reduce productivity, right? Like like you you point out. Um, so I think that's a that's an interesting um, thing that like now we're kind of getting close to the point of being able to to remove some of those barriers and really get just closer to getting much more raw value out of uh, out of the tracking that we can do uh, and less creating uh, creating stumbling uh, points uh, in the process. Yep, yep, um, and obviously there's concerns that crop up when you have uh, workers being quote unquote tracked, right? There's obviously privacy concerns with that, yeah. about that. How do you treat that data uh, carefully and respectfully and, and all those things? Um, and that connects, I think, to a point that you mentioned before that also came up in the uh, conversations last week, which is that um, manufacturing is the top um, industry prone to cybersecurity attacks. Um, with the increased, you know, connectivity of devices, there's just more potential opportunities for um, uh, weak spots. Uh, and so, you know, I think the cybersecurity aspect of this is super interesting. Uh, MXD is obviously focused on it. And I'm excited to tease that um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be recording an episode uh, with Dr. Michael Powell, from the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence um, and his colleague, uh, Aslam Shurul. Um, and we're going to get into some of these topics around uh, cybersecurity, uh, the implications in the manufacturing and industrial space, uh, and what they're doing from a standard standpoint to try and uh, help all of us do it better. Yeah, I mean, the their, their focus is on best practices and things like that and, and standards. Um, and uh, our, our world is much more... Um, in the weeds, like implementation, let's, let's get, get pragmatic about these things. And I think the, the intersection of those two perspectives is a really good one. Very useful um, for, for our listeners. Yeah. So I'm super excited about uh, MXD, about uh, the partnership that we're establishing there. 
I'm excited to, to go some more events uh, in first quarter of the year. Um, I'm gonna give one last plug to them just for our audience, for anybody who's interested in MXD, uh, mxdusa.org uh, is the site to go to and you can learn more about what they're doing as an organization and how you can get involved, uh, attend an event, maybe become a member. Um, and Manufacturing USA is something you can search up to see about other organizations across the US who are doing things like what MXD is doing and maybe might be closer to your neck of the woods. Yeah, and if you're uh, if if you're from another company out there uh, that's a three letter acronym with an X as the middle, uh, then we'd like to talk to you. Um, it turns out we're we're big fans of something, time something. Uh, yes, that's a, that, that works really well for us. Um, just reach out. Don't don't hesitate. Call, email immediately. Uh, yeah. We'll get you on. We'll get you on the Tax. podcast. Clearly, <laughs> we need to talk to you. Yeah. Post dates. All right. Um, let's take that as an opportunity to uh, transition into our regular feature. Um, which we've been calling, what did I ask generative AI this week? Um, but Turley, I have a sense you're going to go a little bit of a different direction with well, it. So, I mean, we used to call it, what did you ask chat GPT this week? And we've, we've, I think we've generalized a little bit. And so I'm going to take that opportunity. Go for it. And so, um, rather than talk to you about what I, uh, I, I told them, well, I guess I will tell you a little bit, but I, uh, came across my desk, a new, new tool that I was unaware of, uh, called Pi. Uh, pi.ai. So that's the that's the URL, pi.ai. Um, and it's another la large language model tool, very similar to ChatGPT, um, but with a little bit of a different swing to it. Um, and the the pitch for, from a person to me was that it just felt a little more conversational. Uh, and it, 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 the, what was the value? I'm not 100% sure I got, I'm, I'm there yet. Uh, but uh, I can tell you that it sort of started off just, just kind of engaging me. And it's just like, Hey, it just, instead of being like an, a sort of, um, uh, the chat GPT interface is, is still a chat prompt and all that, but it's, it's very much so like, like you begin the conversation. Like, how do you want to, how do you want to do this? Um, and I thought this, it's real subtle, but like, uh, pi.ai, uh, starts with, they start with a, a question. And their, their question was like, what do you do in your free time? And boy, howdy, did I go and tell them all about it? Uh, <laughs> I, like, I don't know. It, I don't know what it was uh, for me, but they like I in, in some very quick interaction, I uh, the, the tool gave me sort of words to put around my identity that I thought was really interesting. Right. So like you and anybody who's listened to even 10 seconds of this podcast uh, knows that I'm pretty into, into board games. So I immediately told them, Hey, I'm into 3d printing and board games. Sure. And we walked through like, uh, really quickly, like, why do you, why, why, why are you into that? That kind of thing is, is it that you're just generally a jack of all trades of things? And I was like, well, that's not how I see myself. Uh, let me tell you about what I, what I really get, get into. And I used all of the, the jargon from each of these, you know, core, uh, <laughs> nerd genres of mine. Um, and they, and, and it was like, uh, they were like, ah, I, I think you are a board game quality of life master. And I was like, yeah, man, I feel so seen. And I, and it was, it was interesting to just get words that I didn't have, uh, even though I'm pretty, pretty engaged in these worlds. Um, they also have like a really nice, uh, sort of like starter palette of things that, uh, you might use this for. And I think that's another common thing that people struggle with, with 
the just sort of like blank chat GPT interface is, uh, you know, maybe you want to plan for the future. You want some, some career, uh, you want to discuss your career or you want to think of a gift to give that all those are like little prompts and stuff that they have in a little palette. That's very easy to sort of go on a little bit more of a discovery journey, which I think is pretty interesting. That's fascinating. What, what do you think you would go back to pi.ai for the next time you wanted to use it? What's the, what's the extended value for you? What would you, what more would you do? Weirdly, weirdly enough, this is like, this was more cathartic than it was like, you know, give me the answer to a question I have, you know, it was, it was much more engaging in that way. Um, but I, I think the number one thing that I'm going to use in the near future is uh, they gave me that prompt of think of a gift to give. And I'm going to use that uh, in the coming holiday season. I like that. That's a good recommendation for our listeners. What about you, man? So I think it's pretty obvious that you and I don't discuss these beforehand. We try and do it. We try and do it live. Uh, But if there was ever any doubt, I think this will probably put that to rest. So, yeah, the holidays are coming up. They're around the corner. Um, and Are you going to get me something for Christmas? Oh, Jason, that's so sweet. One one thing at a time. <laughs> Thanksgiving, right? And for folks who host Thanksgiving, it's it's a challenge. It's a, it's a big undertaking, and guests appreciate that. But often, what the host is trying to do, and they want to bring something. You know what I mean? They want to contribute. Um, but as a host, sometimes you feel the need to, you know, control the Thanksgiving experience, right? You don't want Aunt Sally's, you know, marshmallow, pecan, whatever the heck this year, right? Just not a crowd pleaser. Um, So how do you tell Aunt Sally that you're not really up for what she's going to bring? Well, you ask ChatGPT to give you a politely worded note that you can send ahead of time to your guests to just set the right expectations. So I asked ChatGPT for some help with this. And this is what I got back. Hi, Turley. We're really looking forward to having you join us for our Thanksgiving celebration. It's going to be a special day with good food and great company. We wanted to let you know that this year we're planning a much more relaxed evening after dinner. While we appreciate your enthusiasm for bringing board games, we thought it might be nice to spend the time chatting, listening to music, or watching a movie together instead. We hope you understand and are as excited as we are about this laid-back, enjoyable evening. Can't wait to see you on Thanksgiving. Best, Jason. Oh, that's brilliant. I mean, it's you, you, you've pegged me. It's been so good. It's it's so so perfect. Uh, well, after oh. your haircut critique, I felt uh, I owed you one, I owed you one back. Uh, my, I'm I, I am in the act of planning my uh, my Thanksgiving dinner, and I, I'm we're going to host, and so uh, and in classic uh, Turley family fashion, we're gonna we're we're not going to have turkey. Uh, we're going to have uh, a bunch of Filipino food and a bunch of Indian food, and it's going to be awesome. And I can't wait. And this is for me, Thanksgiving is all about bringing everybody together and letting the chaos go. It just boil over and it's going to be just <laughs> outstanding. Uh, we thought for a hot minute this week that we were maybe going to be hosting Thanksgiving. Uh, and we have dodged that. We've dodged that bullet. So I'm actually happily i like to throw a a friend's party the weekend the saturday afterward i'm i'm much happier to kind of lean into lean into that experience so 
maybe that'll be an episode as well. Report back on the technology that ensued in the in our uh, in our Thanksgiving Day traditions. There you go. But and I would be I would happily have you and your board games at my Saturday Thanksgiving party. Like just go on record there. Oh, I yeah okay. Um, (laughs) Check me. All right. I think that is where we're going to wrap it up this time. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Our ambition is to continue to cover the important topics and trends shaping industrial innovation from manufacturing to supply chain. And we will see you next time on The Modern Industrialist.